everyone. Adam here once again for a bonus episode of TFG Radio. And this episode we have Zach Becker back on from the uh, London GT. Zach, welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. And we're back on to basically talk. Because recently we just had the London GT uh, a few weeks ago. So we'll, we'll, we want to talk about that a little bit. Um, to start off, let's talk about um, some of the differences between this year and last year's uh, event. Yeah, of course. Um, where to start, really? I mean, um, obviously last year, uh, those that didn't attend the event probably heard about it most because of the terrain issues we had. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the time it was trending on the Los Souls' hashtag terrain gate or something like this. <laughs> but um, realistically, what happened then was we, you know, we tried to, to make a step in terms of what we were trying to achieve with uh, having every table with the same terrain or, you know, scratch built for purpose, very tradition. Um, and that combined with, um, growing from a 200 player event to a 400 plus player event just meant that we failed miserably. Um, obviously those mistakes were well publicized at the time, so I won't go over them too much now, but we partnered with TT Combat this year and they designed some stuff for us. And after I think, it worked out it was about 600 man hours. Mm-hmm. Um, that was all done, dusted. Um, anyone that's seen the pictures from this year um, or attended obviously knows that uh, the train was one of the highlights of this year's event. Um, albeit that means we didn't necessarily escape all uh, of the meme world and we ended up with a, something trending along the lines of Hills being the LGT's most powerful weapon or something oh. like this. <laughs> a Marvel themed based meme, but um, I think people kind of missed the point on that, which was we had introduced a, a slight comp rule to basically say, Hey, games workshops rules for Hills suck. So um, yeah. here's a way to improve them. And while our improvement didn't do the job it was intended to do, it was still better than not having it. So it was, we kind of got a bit of flack uh, for nothing there because if we hadn't, hadn't have put in that rule it would have been even worse because we would have just had entire armies that were unchargeable so um that's sort of what happened with terrain um that was a big difference from from this year to last year was obviously everything looked great this year um and played much better uh albeit obviously hills still an issue um then yeah i mean the rest of the issues were things that really didn't get much coverage on online but but our attendees experienced much much more acutely which were things like uh, table spacing, timing issues, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last year we had a two hour queue to get in. This year we had a zero minute queue. Uh, players turned up and didn't experience a single, single, single line to stand in. They went straight to their tables and started playing because we did the round draw before, before the event itself. Um, which anyone that's attended any of the best run events in the world knows that it's, it's really hard to, to do an event, um, where you don't have to queue to get in. And I think we're probably the only major tournament that, that doesn't have that. Right. So um, that was a big success. Uh, table spacing was fixed. You know, we went from a multi-room venue to a single massive pool, so that helped us with our space planning a lot. Um, and food was probably the only area where we didn't um, didn't improve as much as we wanted to. Uh, we got a lot better on it, but it's definitely the thing that we need to focus on improving for next year. So um, yeah, I mean, these are things that are. Are easily solvable now. Um, they were less, 
less uh, visible to the internet uh, last year, but what we really care about is our actual attendees. So um, I think on the whole, you know, judging by our feedback surveys that we've, we've had in now for a couple of weeks, um, everyone was really impre- in, um, like pleased and impressed. Uh, we do like a, an average satisfaction measure as well as like asking detailed questions about the events, and our average was 8 out of 10. So I think we had one in... One per 200, so I think it was five out of the thousand people that came okay. uh, that said they wouldn't come back. So it was really, really, really good. Um, we're very pleased with how it went, and we're pleased that our attendees uh, also had a lot of fun. So um, the event itself, I mean, obviously, this is 40K focused podcast, so going from convention level issues to 40K level issues. Um, this year, we, we had some. Some issues that were different from last year. Uh, last year was quite interesting because the rule of three had literally just been introduced before our list cutoff date. So, um, the whole game fundamentally changed. Um, so we didn't actually have that many like rules based issues because it was really just the people that could understand how to write lists with, without spam that, that could do well. Um, and I think that's why we basically had two two sets of people that did well last year. We had people that took um, what was clearly the strongest list, which was the um, Custodes bikes with Blood Angel captains and then um, CP farm. And I think three people took that and all went all went five and zero. Oh. Um, and then we had um, Mike, who not only understood how to play a list very well and um, came second overall in gaming, but also understood that you have to paint your army well um, and managed to hit uh, the gaming winner to the post with uh, by having a fully painted army. So um, yeah. uh, last year, really, uh, our, our issues were, were more logistics-based rather than gaming-based. And this year, um, anyone that's watched a YouTube video that's floating around at the moment might might think that we had the terrible, terrible... Uh, ref situation, but you know, I can assure everyone that that wasn't the case. This is just a, a viral vid that's been blowing up. Um, so maybe we can chat a little bit about about that and and um, okay. what our plans are in the future. So well, before before, um, we, before we do that, I just want to ask because many people may not know where where was the event actually held because it's kind of unique. At least I've never seen an event held at a at a place where you have it at. Uh, yeah, so um, last year, yeah, last year we had a venue yeah. for yeah. Last year was unique, but for all the wrong reasons. Uh, <laughs> it was a cool place. We were in the Olympic Stadium in London last year. Right. Uh, great, great place. Didn't work at all for 40k. Um, this year we were in uh, another sporting venue, but it was basically like a athletics track. So anyone that's ever you know had to suffer around uh, you know jogging uh, 800 meters around the track. Um, we'll know that these places are quite large and we have one that's in basically a big warehouse, um, in London. It's a, like an indoor athletics track. Yeah. Um, I think they're fairly common in the States because, uh, you have better university level yeah. athletics programs than we do here, but in the UK, they don't exist. This is, I think, one of only two in the whole country. Oh, wow. Um, and so basically we've got this place. Uh, it's a huge warehouse effectively, um, albeit in our, in our, social media pictures it looks like people are doing high jump while playing 40k <laughs> but um no it's um it's good it works really well for us because obviously it's just a it's effectively a big hall um yeah. with really high ceilings so so one thing that we had a lot of positive comments on were um you know most 
gaming events tend to get a bit hot and sweaty, no matter how no matter how much you uh, turn up the AC, and they a bit smelly maybe by halfway through uh, the Saturday. But because this space is um, designed for uh, people running around in slightly better shape than your average gamer, um, you know the facility is built for people that are being hot and sweaty. So actually, we had lots of compliments about that. Uh, you know, people were saying, "Oh, the AC, the AC here is amazing." I actually, I had to tell them, I thought, "There's no AC here. It's all it's all naturally ventilated. There's little little uh, vents that pop open and close and let, lets the the wind come in to to ventilate the building." So. Um, really for us, it worked perfectly. It's a little, little bit, uh, outside of town than I would prefer. You know, I would, I would love to be, um, in the equivalent of Times Square, in, okay. but in London, but obviously it's not, not a realistic, uh, proposition. Right. Um, but we're still in London, which is obviously the brand we've established now. Um, we're not now outside of London, like Adepticon's had to go just because of its size. <laughs> um, maybe yeah. that would be a, a good problem for us to have in future years, but for the moment, you know, while we stay around the sort of 1500 person mark, uh, we'll be in this venue for certainly next year because it's already booked, mm-hmm. um, but probably the year after as well. Yeah, the, I know <laughs> it's always funny that the when GW used to run events that they'd always have the Los Angeles either Open Day or Grand Tournament. But after like the first year, it was never held in actually in LA. It was in like one of the <laughs> suburbs because it was so much cheaper. Yeah. But uh, I was just curious because I because I noticed the the track the track hall basically, and and we do have indoor track meets here in the states of a number of them, um, or it's fairly much more fairly common. But I thought it was still a unique place to have an event uh, like 40k. Um, but yeah, go, continuing on with your with with what you're talking about, there was the, the what people perceived as the issue with the uh, invitational in the I believe it was the semifinals. And so you can go ahead. Oh yes, yeah. so this is um, this, so uh, actually I, I guess both the issues that, that went a little bit viral um, rules wise were um, both judging related, but they were completely separate issues. One was. Uh, we'll come to later, which is about sportsmanship. And um, in the invitation, we had a separate issue, which was timing related and about how um, basically timing rules and clock rules interface with tournament rules. So it was quite a, um, an interesting situation to officiate because um, what happened um, when I was there, I was, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of the whole thing. Um, so I don't sit on a table refereeing it the whole time. We have, um, separate ref team that, that does that job. Um, but given that it was a high profile game, I think it was Josh Death and Nick Nanavati, um, in the semis of the invitational. So last game on Friday night. Um, we had altered the schedule of the, of the, the invitational by a little bit to give players a bit of an extra break in between rounds two and three. Um, no, three and four, big fun. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we knew we were going to finish late. And what happened was, um, as anyone that's been to a major 40k event in the States knows, um, and as I'm sure Nick won't mind me mentioning, he likes to have a beer or two while he's playing. Yes. And uh, I'm very familiar so, with. Uh... By the time we, we we yes, well apparently it makes him better, but it doesn't make him better at using his clock properly. And, and no. What happened was uh, the ref on that was basically officiating the game called me over and said, um, 
the inv- I should preface this by saying in the invitational clocks are mandatory on all games, so it's not an optional thing that you can op- opt out of. Um, even if both players say they don't want to use it in the invitation, it's compulsory. Um, so when I was called over, it, it, I was called because it was clear that the players hadn't been using the clock properly because we banned pausing of the clock. Um, and there was only 20, uh, what was it, 15 minutes left or something in the round when I was first called over and the clock was on like 20 minutes for Nick and zero for Josh. So I was like, well, you can't, first of all, that's impossible because the round time is only 15 minutes left. Um, and what's actually happened here. And right. So Nick and the guy that was refereeing the game explained to me that they'd agreed not to use the clock when it became clear that the clock hadn't been used properly throughout the game. Oh um, and the round was, was going to expire before they were going to get to six turns. So we let them finish. We let them play up to, to three hours. And it was Nick's turn and Nick Josh was ahead and we knew Nick was going to win if they played six turns but they'd had three hours and the round was three hours oh. and anyone that's um, anyone that's read the ITC documents on how clocks work properly and read any event pack knows that the clock is there for players to make sure they manage the time resource equally but mm. the game length is determined by the round time not by the clock time otherwise people could keep pausing it and you might end up with a three hour round that ended up taking four hours and yeah. two players would end up disrupting 400 players. It just doesn't work that way. So when I was called over, it was for the second time. It was at the three-hour point. It was the game should be over now. I think they were on top of fourth. Um, and by looking at the game state, it was obviously an unfortunate point for them to run out of time because the player that was in the more advantage, advantageous strategic position was behind on points. Mm-hmm. So the, we asked Nick, we basically said, how long do you need to finish? And he and Josh quickly said, well, we need five minutes to talk through the last two turns. Um, we gave them five minutes to talk through the last two turns. I came back after that period of time had expired, and they were still on the same fourth turn. So we had to call a hard dice down, unfortunately. So I think Nick actually got his fourth turn in, and Josh didn't. So he actually ended up high, like having played more. Um but unfortunately, there was, yeah, but I, I think what really mattered was the fifth and sixth. And actually, they spent most of those five minutes, um, from what the ref on the table tells me, um, actually just arguing about time. So, um, <laughs> I'm not really sure if he, if he gained any benefit from that. But the crucial point that I think was missed, um, on the live stream is that there is a fundamental difference. And this is something that anyone that, you know, cares about like how tournaments are run rather than specific games, because it's obviously just one example of this problem. But the clock is not there to determine when the game ends. It's there to determine that the game is played fairly, and that means that the time allocated to the game is split evenly. Mm -hmm. So from my point of view, we have three-hour rounds. If you don't get to your table and your opponent doesn't get to the table five minutes in, then you don't start with two and a half hours in the clock each. You know, you have to divide up the time you have to play. So... Um, this was a slightly different issue with these gentlemen because obviously they just mismanaged the, how the clock was being used and paused and that sort of stuff. Um, but it's a real problem for, I think, the game as it grows into more of a sort of online digital game and you know people following along at home because fundamentally what there was was a uh, sort of a three-way miscommunication between the live streamers, the players, and then the referees. Mm-hmm. Um, we, like myself, as as you know making the last call on dice down um 
and the players were perfectly clear about exactly what happened. Um, and at the time, there was no issues at all. Both players took it very sportingly. And from my perspective and uh, what I believe is theirs, you know, there's no hard feelings. The unfortunate issue is obviously the live streamers have to sit a fair distance away from the table so that the players can't hear what they're saying. And their interpretation of what was happening was I had come over and I'd said, hey, guys, you know, the venue's closed. Uh, we need to get out, which right. is what they reported. <laughs> um, so, you know, <laughs> just an unfortunate but honest case of, of misinterpretation on, on their part. Um, but ultimately, I don't think there was any real issue. Um, the game was played in accordance with the rules back. And I always say to, to my ref team, you know, you have to, if you've written down something, you can't change it because for, if you change it in one person's favor through a judgment call, then you've changed it against one other person's favor. Um, and then they can make an equal complaint against you that they designed their list in accordance with whatever it is you've changed against. So right. our focus is always on getting the written document in as best shape as possible. And then even if we've made mistakes in that document, which obviously we try to avoid, once that document is finalized, which is basically when the lists are all coming in, then we have we just have to play rules as written according to that pack, um, which in this case obviously related to time, but uh, also in the hills case uh, related to our like comp rule on hills. You know, lots of players were like, "Well, this is stupid." Clearly, your intent was to prevent unchargeable units. Yeah. Um. My my answer was, "Yeah, that was our intent. We didn't write it correctly. That's our fault." But if I now change it halfway through a 500 person event, then you know, there might be 10 people there that, that come and say, well, I designed my army to take advantage of you mucking up this rule. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, while, while some players would like us to, you know, to change the pack midway through the game or midway through the event, um, other players don't. And this is the, for me, the fundamental job of like the tournament organizer is to look at the event holistically and, and say, okay, well, this didn't go according to plan, whether it's time related rules or, rules pack related stuff and and make a call on what their position is because that's what I've described there is what I think is the best way to do it but not all tournament organizers are the same other players particularly at smaller events you know they might be able to do a show of hands and say hey here's something that you know we tried to do it didn't go quite right there's one guy over here who's trying to be an asshole let's try and fix it does everyone <laughs> agree and 15 out of the 16 people put their hands up and there's no problem but yeah. you know even even if changing a pack midway through an event is the right call um with an event that size you have a massive issue of communication how do you even tell people that it's changed mm-hmm. um so the timing stuff i i think was uh just i don't think anything went wrong there i think it's just a miscommunication issue between um what was said on the live stream and what happened at um in person and the hill stuff i think was more of a um a judgment call that people didn't understand our logic behind because the logic was we can't discriminate against people that design a list to take advantage of something just in favor of people that want us to play uh, rules as intended. Right. So that that's um, that's kind of the, the philosophy, you know, refereeing philosophy, if you like, um, that we have at the LGT. Um, I'll probably talk a little bit more on that uh, in a minute, but maybe we should round this little segment off by talking about the other issue that came up in the in the GT itself, with um, 
Mr. Vanguard Tactics' his oh, viral the, video. The video that came uh, out. <laughs> my my anonymous opponent and his yellow card, albeit obviously his opponent is no longer anonymous because about a thousand people named him and shamed him. <laughs> um, which is, um, you know, obviously anyone that that's, uh, knows how these social media um, issues happen knows that doing a video like this is always going to expose the person. But yeah, um, I think there's a couple of key points in in that whole issue that were overlooked um, that perhaps uh, like a player would wouldn't appreciate, but a uh, event organizer uh, might. So um, to 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 cover the details quickly, basically. Um, the player in question had two sportsmanship complaints made against them. Our pack's very clear. If you get two sportsmanship complaints against you, you get a yellow card. Okay. Um, no questions about it. And the gentleman got a yellow card. Um, but he also scored very well. So even though he had a yellow card, he ended up uh, coming third. So this, I think, is what fueled the um, social media outrage, is that they don't want, or the, the general population didn't want somebody who was... Uh, penalized for sportsmanship, uh, also podiuming. So I think that's the sort of impetus behind this, um, issue. I think the video itself focused more on, um, the fact that the gentleman filming the video thought that his opponent was, um, being rude to the referee and felt that the referee should have carded him out the table, which then combined with the yellow card for sportsmanship would have red carded the guy because he would have had two yellows in consecutively. Mm-hmm. Um, but this raises a really good point around, um, I guess what they're calling now the, the super mega events or the, the, the grand slams that are, yeah, you know, the, hundreds, yeah. more than, more than 250 players. Um, is we have players from, literally all continents on the planet um and as a result of that all cultures on the planet and um it's just a different way that people talk to each other that's considered rude or not rude in different cultures so anyone that's traveled in latin america or in southern europe knows that people are much more passionate even discussing more mundane (laughs) issues than you know the more reserved you know, even in the States, you know, you know, New York is going to be more reserved than maybe somebody from Florida. But the whole point is, is our referee, his job is to be unbiased. And one of the gentlemen was from Southern Europe. The other gentleman's from England. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's fortunate that the referee who was officiating the game um, is aware of Latin <laughs> temperament. Yeah. So he was just saying, all right, this is how the rule is ruled. And the guy who was, who, uh, was responding was responding, was basically asking why, but from the position of his opponent was being rude in doing so because of his, the way he was expressing himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so at, the problem we had really was the, the, the player in question, um, had been flagged as a potential problem player. So we had had a referee, referee a couple of his games, you know, at table. So we have, you know, dedicated refs on certain tables throughout the event. And, uh, he had, at the end of the event, he'd, he'd come over with the guy's opponent and his opponent said, I want to lodge a sportsmanship complaint. And I said, okay, this is the second one the guy's had. Um, he's got a yellow card. And I spoke to the referee that had been on the table and he explained the other issue relating to, to the discourse he'd had with the guy at the table. And I've had 
Italian girlfriends before, so <laughs> I'm familiar with what uh, could be considered an argument or not be not be considered an argument. And from my perspective, it was just a case of uh, culture clash. So, um, with regards to that, what the, went on that spurred that video, I think it's just um, a, a difference in opinion about what's considered acceptable behaviour that like um, exhibits itself more when you have an international level event in comparison to a uh, local or domestic level event, you know, a hundred player event you might only have a hundred players from, from your own, your country and culture. Um, and our events slightly broader than that. So that's what I think caused the, the motivation to make the video. Um, but as a response to the video, um, there's been a lot of discussion in the tournament organizer community in the UK about, um, potential longer term implications for getting carded at events. Yeah. Um, and specifically at the FGT, we've been thinking about um, should players with sportsmanship violations um, be able to podium? And given that we have so many players and limited rounds, um, one way to prevent this happening is a yellow card also comes with a docking of a win. You know, we, we docked somebody a thousand, thousand points in the ITC, you know, in the BCP pairing mm. metric. So um, our tickets are for our 2020 event are now live, along with a sort of a very first draft of our pack. So anyone that's seen that um, will have seen that we've, as as the LGT, I'll come on to the more community related response in a minute. But at the LGT, we've decided that our cards basically last for a year and a day. So if okay. you get carded at the 2019 LGT, you start with that card at the 2020 LGT. So um, you basically start on your last warning if you've got a yellow one year. Um, a red basically is a one year ban. Um, and, and this is basically to uh, prevent um, players just saying, well, I'm an asshole now, so I'll always be one. You know, this is to encourage people to reform their behavior. So it's like, you know, if, if you can behave yourself at our next event, then you start the following one with a clean slate. You know, we want to encourage redemption not witch hunts. And one thing that this um, a video has sparked is um, a strong motivation in me as an organizer to, to focus on what's important, which is like number one is is um, the well-being of our attendees. Mm -hmm. And that comes down to, to two things. What, first and foremost, it's player health and safety. So just like we have a responsibility to make sure we don't have uh, an active shooter come to our events, we have a responsibility to make sure... Um, that players aren't bullied and, and uh, end up in situations where self-harm might become an issue. Mm -hmm. um, so we are uh, first and foremost focused on that. Um, and the second half of player well-being comes down to enjoyment of the gaming experience, which is obviously the, the flip side of any potential um, cheating or sportsmanship issues. So they're really two sides of the same coin, um, but I think what a lot of players don't realize is the real-world impacts uh, that these social media outstorms can have on people. Um, so from my perspective, i quite focused on saying, okay, just because you got a yellow card in this experience doesn't necessarily mean that you have to live with it for the rest of your life or with the reputation um, of being a bad sport for the rest of your life. So... Um, going back to last year, anyone that followed along the social media or souls coverage last year will have noticed that uh, we had quite a visible uh, red carding and banning from one of our events yes. where we took a very hard line um, 
in our, our wrestling of, of the event. And in hindsight, I recognize that to have been handled badly. Um, we made the right call in terms of the refing of the game, but probably the wrong call in terms of how we managed the comms around um, the the officiating of it. Okay. Um, and that's very much become first and foremost in my mind now when I deal with sportsmanship and rules violations, which is the game has to be played correctly and will card accordingly. Um, but we won't be a party to any sort of bullying, uh, online or, um, in person. And actually out of all the, the cardings we gave out, um, this year, one of them was actually against uh, a player who was playing against a notorious bad sport, um, and he was having a he was having a bad game and against this guy who's an asshole, and he threatened to beat him up. And I said, oh, wow. you, "You can't do this." If I hear one sec, you know, and he was joking, he was basically saying like, "You're an asshole. If you do this again, I'll you know I'll take you outside." But I'm like, the problem is, is you know you're joking. He probably knows you're joking. I know you're joking. But there's 450 other people here that. that don't know you and right. first and foremost i have to look after their, their experience so um he got carded immediately yeah um and this is you know probably something he wasn't expecting he took it um well when i explained exactly why it was happening um but these are these are issues that are unfortunately like one in a hundred one in two hundred issues but when you have more players they, they come up more frequently and the lgt is on the whole uh, an event where we have you know, very, very, very positive feedback. And we're not um, the most competitive event in the whole world. You know, Crown probably goes to the LVO. Um, so a large proportion of our attendees are either first-time tournament attendees or the only event they attend every year is the LGT. Um, so we do have to be aware that um, you know, being harsh on people with cards is important. I think that's something that's been lost in this sort of um, post-event um, sort of feedback that's gone on online, uh, which is our uh, refing procedures at the event are um, what I would describe as like ITC Code of Conduct Plus. So we have the ITC Code of Conduct as our core document, and then we make that actually more severe by empowering our refs to card for additional issues. Um, discretionary, basically based on, um, on things like painting. So our painting rubric is, or conversion rubric and proxy rubric is, it's your responsible for your army to, uh, represent what it is and you to make sure your opponent has a good time. So instead of emailing the tournament organizer saying, can I use X, Y, and Z as this, this and this, like if your army isn't clear for your opponent to the point where they aren't enjoying their game, you've, uh, a sportsmanship violation. Your job is to ensure that they enjoy themselves within the bounds of having a fair game. Hmm. And if your army is confusing to the point where they're not enjoying themselves, um, that's your fault. And, and so that's actually a cardable offence at our event. Um, so, and, and the idea with behind that was basically like, we shouldn't, as a sort of organizers, we shouldn't be needing to answer a question for every single converted model in the entire event. Um, this is a core rule which says, um, as a player, it's your responsibility to play a hard, fair game um, and to make sure your opponent isn't uh, doesn't unfairly have a bad experience. Like, if they have a bad experience because they don't like losing, that's their fault. If they have a bad experience because your army doesn't look like anything it's meant to, um, that's your fault. And... Um, 
you know, this is this is not something uh, that's acceptable in my view. Even though we have a lot of players that um, do enjoy converting armies, there's a difference between, um, you know, having a splinter cannon and saying, "Hey, this splinter cannon is actually a blaster," oh, and this splinter cannon is actually a dark lance. Mm-hmm. Um, and for example, having a thematic, say, Skaven mech army that's meant to represent Mechanicum guys, and you say, "Hey, all my Warpstone flamers are all." Uh, grav cannons or something. You know, that's a much yeah. easier concept to follow, and it looks awesome in comparison to, oh, I don't want to buy new models, so I'm just going to say that this one's this and this one's that, and mark it with an elastic band. Like for me, that's not an acceptable thing. So, and the key point I'm trying to make here is that we're tying in um, other soft score aspects to the game into the uh, carding aspect of sportsmanship, okay. um, and I don't think anyone else does that. So that's not sort of our. Yeah, so that's our way of, of like, uh, policing, uh, soft score elements to the game, which is, okay, we have a basic thing of you have to bring painted armies or whatever, but ultimately it comes down to does your player enjoy their game? Um, and if your, um, army is preventing them doing that or your behavior is, then for me that's the same issue. So, um, that's kind of where we are at the moment in terms of our plans for next year. Um, we tightened things up and made them a little bit more explicit in the pack. We brought the card carrying over thing into play, and um, the, as I said earlier, the UK tournament community more generally is going to be rolling that out across a number of different events, so that different events will be sharing data on uh, who gets carded and whatnot. Um, it's not been a hard uh, process to implement because in the UK we have, and Europe generally, we have very stringent data protection laws, so uh, we had to basically get some legal input on what we're allowed to tell each other as tournament organizers legally um so it was quite complex but we've got to a point now where uh certain tournaments will be um basically signing up to this like opting into this process whereby we share cardings with each other um and players will be notified of that in the event packs when they buy tickets so that's sort of what's come out of this whole um you know social media backlash against this player um and the the issues that that his opponent had so I think it's ultimately a very positive thing that, that the events are taking steps to improve player experience. Um, at yeah. the LGT ourselves, this year we, we had a, a key question for us in our feedback surveys was um, we run very, from our perspective, tight budgets, so our costs are barely covered by our ticket revenue. And one thing we wanted to ask our attendees is, are you willing to pay a little bit more to have high-quality refing? Um, and that was uh, resounding. I think we had a 98% yes response to that. Um, so for next year, we're flying um, refs over from uh, Belgium, Poland, Sweden, and uh, a gentleman from the north of England. Okay. All of which are you know top tier ETC caliber level refs. Um, combining them with our our local refs as part of our team. Um, to what I think will be. The, arguably the, the strongest ref team in the world um, and it's really hard to find because uh, one thing um, we're struggling with, um, maybe you can tell me if it's something you have with the uh, frontline gaming events but the best players and the best refs uh, are often the same people or the people that know the rules the best at least and they want to play in the big events, they don't want to take the weekend off to, to officiate even when you offer to pay them so <laughs> That's certainly a problem I'm having. Um, that's that's a common. That's a common. Uh, we have we have one guy on our rep team that's 
one of the one of the top players in, but he ends up usually playing in the event in LVO, so it's very yeah. hard to, to for him to, to help out. Um, ours is based more on experience judging in general as opposed to being the best player. Like I was the best player maybe fifteen years ago, not like today. <laughs> so <laughs> But uh, but but then my, my but then my experience is more because uh, I used to I used to ref uh, soccer, you know, up okay. to up to high school level, so I did club I, and and adult leagues things like that, you know. So I have ex my is more experience based as is in terms of just being, I guess, an authority figure, and most most of our team is are more authority figures as opposed to top tier players. Although don't let John hear me say that, um, but like uh, a couple, uh, a couple of them are teachers. I'm more of a basically a soccer ref, which is what I'm, which is what I the code of conduct is more or less based on for those that play or have played uh, soccer, um, especially in the U.S. because uh, we're going with the the youth program, uh, and and so for me that that's that's more or less what our our team is made up of and. If even then, it's still it's still hard just to get people to do it. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And um, it's 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 one of these things of it's hard to get people to do. It's even harder to get people to do who are also uh, competent. You know, yes. you need to be not just uh, good with the rules, but you need to have the personality to 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 make a good ref and you know have the authority to to make a decision. Um. I think we have we have a good balance. We have a, we have basically a complementary skill set between um, my view on on looking after player welfare. Mm -hmm. My uh, head of, head of FAQ, who's a lawyer, who so he's really good on making spur of the moment like okay, this is genuinely ambiguous. How should it be ruled? Decisions. Mm -hmm. um, he does it all day long for a living, so he's obviously good at that. And then we have the combined experience of um, the ETC ref team that we're hiring to come over. Um, so. Um, as I've always said, whenever I've done a, a, a podcast interview, I'm sure I said it on the show last year as well. Uh, my goal is to always make sure that the problems of one year are the best things of the next year. Right. Um, I did that, we did that with terrain and most of the event logistics this year. Um, so next year, one of my goals is to make sure we put on a, like an exemplary performance in terms of, um, how an event should be refereed. Um, I'm very much a proponent of pushing the game forwards. In terms of like professionalizing how it's played, uh, we tried to do that this year with the live streaming. I think a lot of people appreciated the coverage that Hellstorm put out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, part of that will be, um, you know, making our refing not just as tight as possible from a, um, an event management point of view, but also from a player experience point of view. I think players need to know that they're getting fair treatment. Um, this year, I think they did, but it maybe wasn't communicated as well as it could have been. So I think it's two sides of the same coin that we'll make the right decisions, but explain why we're making the right decisions. Yeah. Um, the, one of the things I've noticed you met, when you mentioned um, the how, how the local area, or at least the, in the UK, is kind of coming together to almost fame like its own uh, body in terms of like a region. Um, is that that's happening in, in, here in the states also? There's certain, like the mid the Midwest has their own kind of little mini uh, ITC kind of tournament thing, and at that same time, all these majors are kind of communicating with each other. And I know there's other areas of the country 
in the states that are kind of doing the same thing, but I think and and I think I, we're doing it where I where I am in in SoCal where it's kind of like okay well the cards gonna except our cards carry over from event basically like you said through the whole year from event to event because I run two small GTs in a, in during the year and I know there's a third there's a third one that kind of where we share uh, kind of like people to watch out for and, and uh, cards that were issued. Luckily, there haven't been too many cards issued, so it hasn't really been an issue. But it's it's there, and it's announced before each tournament that, hey, if you get a card here, it's going to carry over to these to this event here. Um, yeah, I'm starting to see that on a on a happening across the country as opposed to. So I don't know if one, and like you said, it seems to be the way moving forward. Because I mean, to be honest, we've only had the the code of conduct for less it's still it's still been less than a year because we only started using it back in January, yeah. in february and and to be honest like you know this whole cards carrying everything is is not uh something we've just pulled out of thin air no um anyone that follows soccer knows that this has been around for ages you know you yes. get a yellow card in one game you miss the next game you get a red you miss two games whatever depending mm-hmm. on the league um so you know in established sports this sort of concept is tried and tested um, as I said earlier, you know, it's an opt-in situation in the UK, so the tournament organizer has to say he's being involved in this thing. Right. Um, and not everyone is. Some people care about more than others because ultimately, you know, we had a, a 400 person plus event. Um, we gave out three cards. The yellow that obviously we've been discussing a lot in this, uh, interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, another yellow, which we haven't really mentioned and a red card that no one's really aware of because it wasn't published at all, and, and rightly so. Right. So actually, these are issues that affect less than one percent of our attendees, but they're just very visible because people like to talk about it. Because actually, half the fun of forty k is probably the gossip that goes along with it. So, <laughs> um, you know, ultimately, I guess what I'm saying is we're all teenage girls, and uh, actually, this is some a fun thing to talk about. But something that we should be cognizant of, uh, trying to improve as yeah. as the game, um, as the game, or as not the game necessarily, but the but the uh, professionalization of events uh, gets more serious. So uh, I think it's a good thing. You know, if if we didn't make mistakes or if there were problems, then we wouldn't have an opportunity to grow uh, in the future. So I think we're in a good place. Uh, looking forward. I think I think the progression from. Uh you know, going from nothing essentially to a code of conduct to a basically a soccer soccer league style of carryover. It's just a natural progression, um, and hopefully, pretty soon, maybe well, maybe not soon, but hopefully in the future. For me personally, anyway, we would start to link up more, where it's almost on a on a national or world scale, where these cards carry over as people travel to more events. Because there's some of the same names you see, at least not getting yellows, but at least going to the same events uh, every year. Yeah, and uh, you know the thing I'm, um, you know, want to promote as much as I want to promote um, hard and fair refing is also the opportunity to um, have players redeem themselves, as I mentioned earlier. So um, one player who I'm sure he won't mind me mentioning his name. Um, that had a bad reputation for a while in the United States, Josh Death, um, has been an absolutely uh, exemplar player in terms of sportsmanship and character at the LGT for two years in a row now. So I'm uh, very happy to say when players have got 
or built up a negative reputation in some instances um, for them to redeem themselves in others. Um, and I think that's an important thing for tournament organizers to stress as well, which is it's not just their job to, um, to give people cards, but also give people the chance to um, work off that debt in terms of social capital. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, anyone that watched the Invitational Final can see a game that was played uh, between my uh, the, the champion comrade and Josh. Um, it was a game that was played as an absolutely perfect example of competitive 40k. It was nothing remotely contentious. Every, both players were very uh, genteel in, in their behavior and the game uh, came out um, not actually that close in the end. So, you know, it wasn't, there was more than one chance for, for a player to get salty and yet mm. it didn't occur. So, um, you know, my, my position is that, you know, it's also the job of people that are visible in the community to uh, make a point of noting not just the players that are misbehaving, but also the players that are behaving uh, well and are good examples of uh, this hobby. I think that's part of the card system also. It's because if you put a limit, like you said, it allows them a chance to, to basically almost like earn your trust back. You know, in, in terms yeah, exactly. I mean, like, it, it, uh, you know, a, a few years ago, or even you know, for some of the small events now, you know, they just talk about, oh, this guy's a problem. I'm just going to ban him from our event. Right. And me personally, I don't believe that's the correct way to to respond. Um, I think it's always better to say, hey, you know, these problems have been, fl-, you know, talk to the player privately and be like, hey, these problems have been flagged with your behavior at other events. If you want to attend our event, this behavior will be unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the cards rolling over is just a more formalized way of saying that to players. Um, so I think, you know, as I said earlier, I think the whole point of this, uh, this phase that we're going through at the moment is, you know, we, uh, as you said, we had the code of conduct in the last year. Next stage of that is basically making a, a more, uh, holistic code of conduct that covers the season rather than specific games. You know, it's sort of like you want to look at it from a game, game experience level, tournament level experience, season level experience. Um, and I think that behavioral guidelines can cover each three levels of, of the, the competitive experience. Um, so yeah, I think we'll, we'll see, uh, I'm not saying that this, what we've decided is is going to be the final state of you know, the perfect way to do things, um, but it's a step forwards, I think. And uh, if it has to be tweaked slightly in the future, um, then it's still better than where we were two years ago. So yeah. Um, in regards to the the hill the hill thing, uh, it brings to mind the recent ruling by Frontline in regards to the uh, fly keyword on vehicles and ruins. Which I don't know if you heard or not. Which is for those that don't know. Yeah, yeah. Is that any vehicle with the flywheel keyword has to fit flat, and the base has to be completely on the level, which means there's no overhang allowed. So it really limits some flyers, especially depending on how the terrain is. So we'll see how that works yeah. out at SoCal Open, and see if if yeah. there'll be any. I mean, I can already. Unfortunately, as a Dark Elder player, I can understand where they're coming from because they obviously don't want my flyers like flying and perching on top of the ruins. But I also run a number of Venoms, and Venoms have bases that are actually bigger than the models themselves. Um, 
So I can already see a number of issues with this, which is a Venom should be able to perch on a, you know, a top level of a ruin. It's, it's a nimble, tiny thing. It's basically a jet bike. Yeah. Um, but because it has a base much larger than the model, you're uh, unfairly penalized, in my view. So the, ultimately, this highlights probably what's uh, an issue for a separate conversation, which is how um, lethality works in, the, in terms of the maths of 40K. Yeah. Um, we've all seen the pictures of the repulsors perched one on top of another. I think there's probably a more... Um, a more intricate or more refined version of this ruling that would be fairer to um, other models that aren't causing these sorts of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think we all know it's not things like Venoms. No, it's no. stuff like Repulsors and Eldar Flyers. Um, but anyway, I mean, we'll see what happens. Ultimately, it, it highlights a core problem in the game, um, which hopefully will be rectified in a future edition. Um, but at the moment, what we have is a set of bad terrain rules in the core rule pack combined yeah. with a, a very lethal game um, that basically means line of sight is, is not an issue if you can fly and land on top of stuff. So um, for me, the important thing in that, as I said, it's probably a separate discussion, is that uh, this is a Band-Aid for a oh, yeah. problem. And interesting thing, the interesting discussion is not the Band-Aid, it's the problem. Um whether this is the most effective band-aid you could choose from is uh, kind of irrelevant. What we should really be thinking about is how to improve the game more generally and, and then feeding that back to Games Workshop and trying to get Knight into the best state we can. Yeah. Um, just real quick, I just wanted to, to discuss your initial take on the Space Marines. <laughs> oh, and I, I'm yep. calling 30K because... <laughs> Thirty <laughs> K. Yes, yes. Finally, That's getting a good play thirty K. That's how you do it. Yeah. Although with better models, that was all. The, the argument was always that you could play thirty K and you got the nice models. But yeah. since Primaris have dropped, we've got all the nice models. <laughs> um, and um, so anyway, uh, my take on new Space Marines. Um, lots of hype. Obviously, some clear results so far in the last couple of weekends, albeit yeah. uh, from the data I've been looking at. Um, what I found most interesting is, is actually the Space Marine anti-Iron Hand lists that have been winning events, not the Space Marine Iron Hand events. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one of the gentlemen that went 5-0 and at, uh, the LGD is also won an event this weekend with a similar, um, White Scars list. So he's basically playing, uh, White Scars, um, built to kill Iron Hands. Okay. He's got Assault Centurions of all things. Yeah. Uh, whoever thought Assault Centurions would be a competitive build, but they are yeah. apparently because they kill super easily. So uh, he's winning all over the place. Um, we were still seeing stuff like Knights combined with Blood Angel Captains and some other bits and bobs around. So I think... Um, for the time being, until we get the rest of this sort of cycle of releases, um, obviously it's like Awakening is coming up. Yeah. Um, we're going to see Iron, uh, or like Space Marines more generally dominate. They are still weak to a number of things, so you can build nasty counters with Eldor Jet Bikes and Talos quite easily. Chaos Smite Spam beats them quite easily. Um, so I'm not 100% sold that they're going to be winning every event because to be to win an event, you need to beat everyone. You know, you need to go six and zero or five and zero, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite easy for them to run into a hard counter. Um, so my take will probably be summarised by um, 
easily the best faction, not necessarily the dominant faction, because I think there's still some other top-tier codexes around as well. Um, but the interesting point, I think, is um, the orientation shift. It's an orientation shift towards making monofactions stronger than soups. Right. Uh, and that is a fundamental change in design philosophy. Um, which if we see echoed throughout all the factions, you could end up with some really interesting stuff in, um, the factions that people don't know the, uh, chapter equivalents as, as famously, because obviously we all know the difference between ultra marines and white scars. Yeah. But how many people know the fluff behind the difference between Kraken and Leviathan? Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Different color scheme. That's all. That's all I know. Yeah, exactly. So um, it could be. It could be. It could open the um, the fluff side of how rules are designed for factions that people don't know a lot about. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a lot, which I'm kind of interested in because I'm not a huge fluff guy. Uh, I appreciate it, um, but it's not my main interest in the hobby. But I do know the difference between different Space Marine chapters, but I don't know the difference between the different Necron dynasties, Tau sets, um, you know, all this sort of stuff. And if their rules end up being significantly different, then I'm going to have to learn it just so I can learn how to beat it playing the game. So it's, um, (laughs) so they trick you into learning. It could be an exciting time. Yeah, exactly. They've tricked me into, or not me specifically, but they, they, they've, um, smuggled the fluff in through the back door. There you go. Yeah. Uh, any other final thoughts? I think we've. Uh, I think you want anything else you want to cover? Or can no, co- I or think can that's cover. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, um, obviously we spoke a lot about uh, our plans for the next LGT, so I'll just quickly cover uh, when that will be happening. Um, so we are running in June next year, June 2020, 27th, and 28th. Uh, will be the dates of the GT. Tickets are currently on sale. Uh, they went on sale the date of this recording, so um, I think we've already sold about 250 in the first few hours. Um, nice. So they may sell out quickly, so I encourage anyone that's interested in coming to um, what's now the second biggest 40k singles event in the world to head over to our website, which is lgtpresents.co.uk. Uh, tickets are bargain price of 50 pounds um and you know we're only two hours away from warhammer world so any of your listeners uh <laughs> that want to make the pilgrimage um can do can hit two nails with one stone um and head over for a for a, a week and a bit of lovely wargaming uh all day vacation <laughs> yeah i'll be i'll be sure to include the link in the in the show notes when the when this episode releases Right. But uh, thanks for coming on again. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Look forward to seeing you at SoCal Open. Yeah, I'll see you soon. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, uh, good night, everybody else, and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to look for TFG Radio on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and don't forget to leave us a positive review on iTunes. Also, don't forget to look up our website, tftradio.com, for all the latest updates. Finally, don't forget our Patreon page. Just look up TFG Radio. You can contribute as much as you want, and this gives you access to exclusive content. Again, thanks for listening, and good night.